If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Well, it's Friday, July 28th here on the Facebook Footballers DFS Embedding Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Brignone, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew, one of the boys of the summer bets. Summer is rolling by, man. It's hard to believe that we're almost at August, which is just crazy to even say out loud because it kind of feels like the offseason is still like here. But, I mean, there's training camp, hype videos on Twitter, all over my timeline. I'm loving it. Uh, I'm not loving some of the injury stuff coming out. You know, Jonathan Taylor on PUP. Kyle Pitts is out there with a knee brace on. But we're going to digest all that, update the rankings as we need to. Of course, talk about kind of what to do with these risers and fallers in best ball ADP, which is what we're going to talk about today. But before we get to all that, dude, I got to say, you look another year older, man. Like, you just look old. Old as dirt, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Bags under my eyes. Just, it's like... It's a good way when you get to see a friend you haven't seen in a while. Like, hey, you got you got older, and we all are. But there are some people who age. But I look a little aged because I played some pickleball out in the uh, humid Georgia sun for a couple hours before recording. Is that it? Is that is that the look right now? You do look like you just played pickleball. <laughs> if I'm being honest, like, your cheeks are a little rosier than usual. Okay. Uh, potentially hair maybe not quite as put together as usual if i'm being honest as as your friend and you're not wearing glasses which honestly i don't think i've ever seen you not wear glasses so i'm this is throwing me off right here yeah i i have a look for podcasting some would say like that's you know right now especially right now just describing this on audio format people are (laughs) people are loving it it's so the podcaster's world okay let's just unpack that for a second because you have a very very difficult job bets you and i i mean to schedule recording between two people in the middle of the day, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff we have to do. I know. I know. And, yo, I'm stressed, dude. I'm stressed. Training camp's here. <laughs> We're almost in the NFL season. So, um, so yeah, man. But the birthday, like, how was it? Did you, did you do anything fun? Did you do anything exciting? I So, I'm a pretty introspective person. Maybe you know that about me, Bets. But I like to – this, this is where you say I'm such a sicko, and I, I'm okay with it. I like to take time by myself on my birthday every year and just kind of go off, off the grid. 
and kind of reflect. And so I do that for a couple hours every year. Emma knows it. My family knows it. My mom will call me and say, hey, what are you doing today? And I'll kind of describe it. She goes, okay, well, I'll talk to you at the end of the day. So I did that, but then uh, we had a little birthday family celebration. I got that sweet Lamar Jackson t-shirt and Mark Andrews that I was telling you about. And of course, uh, <clears throat> another King Griffey Jr. one. So nice. 36, nice. man. I'm, uh, I think I'm still holding steady, but apparently I look ragged the way that you're looking at me right now. <laughs> I'm just being mean because that's what friends do on each other's birthdays. You know, you throw out like a nice comment every now and then, but most of the time, let's be real, your best friends, you make fun of them. Not only in, you know, life, but like for best ball and fantasy takes. So that's what I'm here for, Kyle, to, to just make fun of you as much as possible. Betts has a, I'll just say this, we have a great show today and a great tease, actually a world-class tease on this episode. But Betts is, like, he's filthy. He's good at this, that he will make me question any pick or any feeling that I have when majority of the time we're, we're in step, you know, 75, 80% of the time it's fine. But sometimes he will make me question if I just had the worst pick of all time. Like I took Joe Mixon in weekly winners and Betts goes, well, obviously you're not going to win the thing now. <laughs> no, I think what I said was, I said, imagine thinking Joe Mixon's what you need. Dot, dot, dot. And you just said, I'm going all in with this man. I'm going down with the ship. Yeah. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about the biggest best ball ADP changes since May and maybe give you a roadmap of how things are still going to change, right? It's the end of July. We still have another month and a couple of weeks to go. So I don't know. What's your strategy so far in terms of how many drafts? You don't have to give the exact number of drafts you've done, but like, are you kind of pausing right now? Because we're about to get a lot more casual people in some of these tournaments that enter in. I've kind of slowed up over the last two weeks and a lot of people talk about it as like a barbell approach. Like you take a ton at the beginning, you wait for ADPs to settle, and then you're waiting for training camp news for you know other people. Like we just saw a two-week dip for Saquon. Now he's going to go back up. So is that kind of your approach, that barbell approach? For the most part, yes. I, I love to draft in May and June where I really think, I mean, people listening to this, people that are uh, hardcore about best ball and, and fantasy do have a leg up. Like if you can predict some of the stuff that's going to happen, the Dalvin Cook thing was obvious. If, if you weren't getting your Alexander Madison exposure then, getting your Joe Mixon exposure then, like betting on things that you think will happen, and, and you'll be wrong sometimes, but when you're right, the payoff is massive. That's the time to really get get on that. And then you get to July, and it sort of feels like there's nothing more to be gained. Like We kind of have the information we have, and then there's a lull where we don't get a lot of news, not injury you know, reporting, stuff like that, until we get to training camp, and then we actually get some of the answers to the test, right? If you were hammering Kadarius Tony, it's super unfortunate with the news that we got. But if you were waiting and you do want to get some Tony, you're going to get a much better price now. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, but I did start drafting actually a ton in the last two weeks. It wasn't planned, but it was because I wanted some discount Saquon Barkley. We talked, uh, I think, two weeks ago on the show or maybe last week when we did the mailbag about guys that I don't have as much exposure as I thought. And on DraftKings, I didn't have like hardly any Saquon. And then he was dipping to the third round and sometimes fourth round. And I was like, okay, I want some of that now. So I did actually hammer a few drafts recently for that reason, but I will give it, I think, a week or two and really start to get going here as we get to August. So we're going to talk about best ball ADP changes on this episode. If you want to get all of our ranks, we talk about it every single week, ultimatedraftkit.com, our best ball rankings, our best ball primer. Uh, I got to move today. I did an update in my best ball rankings, got to move some players, especially at the beginning where you know, Saquon was somebody that you could comfortably get in our rankings. And now it's a little different, like, because he's going back up. So 
Um, also, our season-long player props. We just took another one the other day, an under on your boy, Raheem Mostert. Uh, so if you want to get notified on all those, go to ultimatedraftkit.com. You can be in our Discord. But I need to give us a pro tease here. Moving the lines. So as we get closer to the season, Betts and I will get to talk more and more about the opening lines for week one. We've talked about win totals, a number of different markets, divisional previews. We've done a lot of that offseason. But now we're kind of getting to the point where we're going to get some closing line values on some of these teams and kind of like put our all in last year. The Cardinals are one of those teams that I was so strong on and I said I feel. And then once we got to this point in the season, I kind of just went all in as like that was the team that I was taking the under and boy, did it hit. We, drum roll, not a drum roll, but I wish I had a drum roll here, uh, are going to have, I would say, arguably the most prominent voice in uh, fantasy betting industry world next week. We're going to have Warren Sharp on our show and get to talk to him about some of the most polarizing teams to bet or to, you know, if you're not in a market where you can bet win totals, like there's so many other ways that you can do it. So Warren Sharp of Sharp Football, Sharp Football Analysis, we look at his guide, our entire company does when that comes out, his football preview, and it's invaluable to us. I just finished recording every single divisional episode for the fantasy footballers. And trust me, like I've read through this entire thing and I feel like I have a way better read of what went right last year and what changes. So I know for you, we look at Warren's stuff all the time, right? Yeah, his stuff's great. Um, I mean, I, I jokingly call you a sicko. Like, it takes a special sicko type of person to have the information that he does in that guide. Like, truly, it is a novel of information. And the thing that I like most about it, uh, as far as the work that he puts into it, is like, not just here's the takes I have and here's kind of some data to back it up, but like, kind of tells you what went right, what went wrong, like what's actually sticky year to year and what might have just been uh, noisy and not actually signal. That can be very difficult for a lot of casual people, myself included, to kind of sift out. And I think the guide does a lot to do that for us. It gives a lot of information, talks about offensive line play, defensive play, schedule-related stuff. I mean, coaching changes, like it's it's honestly insane how much information is in there. So I'm psyched, man. I think it'll be a very valuable uh, episode. We'll get to learn more from him and then really talk about, I think, some of the most polarizing teams entering this year, which honestly might shape some of my uh, final bets I make. It might shape some of my final exposures for best ball. So I think it's going to be a great episode next week. Yeah. Whenever you hear me talk about scheduled adjusted forecasting, you know, when I come up with that, that's not my idea. That's something that Warren Sharp has done for years. And I would say it's been way more accurate than the Vegas lines. And so I kind of developed my own after him and after the way that he did it. And so, you know, when Betts and I do our previews of each team, I give my schedule adjusted forecast, which isn't perfect. And then I usually line it up with the Vegas totals and Warren Sharps is kind of another one that I get to kind of add in there. So uh, next week, we're going to get to interview him on the show and talk about some of the most polarizing teams. And I want to hear from you guys on Twitter, on Discord, who are the most polarizing teams? So all you have to do is just tag Betts or I and just say, hey, I want to make sure that on the episode you talk about this team. And by polarizing, we kind of want to remove our own bias and say, hey, I could see things go either way for this team. So Betts, who are a couple of the teams that you, we can just quickly go through them, that you think, hey, I don't know, it could go either way. Yeah, and for everyone out there that is going to reach out to us, okay, don't let, don't list the Colts, or the, uh, the Chiefs, excuse me, don't list the Chiefs, the Bengals, you know, the Eagles, like we know they're good, 
and don't list like the Cardinals. We know they're not going to be good, but like we want to know these kind of middling teams where there's uncertainty. And so the na- teams that came to mind uh, for me, like I want to know about the Broncos. Like is Russell Wilson done, or was last year just so bad with Nathaniel Hackett that Sean Payton can come in and save this thing? It's it's going to mean a lot whether or not Jerry Judy's ADP is right or wrong. If Cortland Sutton is undervalued, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We've been talking all off season about the Ravens. And through a very positive lens, but is there downside to this uh, offensive coordinator change? You know, for example, I want to know about the Steelers. Like Kenny Pickett's rookie year, historically bad. <laughs> I want to know if that's coming up in year two. The offensive line, the system, the Browns with Deshaun Watson. What can we expect there? The Cowboys and the loss of Kellen Moore. Now Mike McCarthy taking over. You know, play calling. We've talked a lot about that. And then the Lions. Like that's the team that I want to know more about. It's the hype is out of control. And it's only positive right now. Like, is there a downside to this team uh, or not? And so, yeah, I want to know a lot about those teams. I think those, uh, you know, ADPs with those players too for best ball are kind of in limbo. Like you can make the case for against a lot of those players. So those teams I have my eye on. But like we said, we want to hear from you guys. Let us know who you want to learn more about for 2023. And like we've mentioned, there are so many different avenues, formats, markets that you can look at a team through, right? Like we've talked about, You can like a team's win total and take the over. You could say, hey, I think this team is overvalued in best ball. Like it's hard for them to pay off. We talked about that with the Eagles, right? It's like really hard to invest in Eagles. Uh, You could look at them in dynasty formats. Like there's just so many different ways. So I love getting the perspective of someone like Warren because it's so comprehensive and he'll get to talk about the the preview. Um, But if you are a true, true sicko, I cannot imagine something that would get you more prepared from just a 10,000 foot view of here's how you can see the NFL. Here's how you can see uh, and take that into fantasy. Like I feel a lot smarter and often on the show, I will use Warren's statistics. So we'll talk to him next week. It will be a grand, grand old time. It's, it's a, it's a good thing. So uh, let's talk best ball. Best ball bonanza. So ADP in best ball is something that we talk about a lot and it's valuable and it's not one of those things that you should stray too far from ADP, okay? Because you're drafting within a room of people that have the same set as you and over time, we talk all the time and the the comparison I use is that you're using a variant form of a player that's using like Marvel kind of, is that too nerdy for you, Bets? Do you even care about Marvel? stuff i i feel like this is a contrarian take i'm not really into it i'm not i'm not that into it i'll be honest dude i respect you even more for having a contrarian take even if it's wrong like it's fine (laughs) i so i obviously enjoy it but when we're talking about like a variant of a player you're having an alexander madison that was being drafted at what like 88th overall to an alexander madison now that's going around pick 50 and in a tournament that's very different they're clearly going to score the same amount of points but it's more about the opportunity cost of who you can be drafting in the 50 range back then and who you can't now. So when we list risers and fallers in ADP, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind for tournaments. And then Betts and I will kind of talk about, here's a player I have gotten exposure to. Here's a player that I've bought the dip or I'm behind or, man, I wish I would have gotten more of this player. It's really easy for people to take victory laps on, here's what happened. Uh, I was right on this. I think across the board, there are certain positions that I feel like I've done well, like running backs. I think overall this year, we, you and I have been ahead of the curve, but there are a lot of wide receivers 
there are some of these quarterbacks we'll talk about. It's like, I barely have any of this player. I could be wrong. So keep that in mind. It's like, we're not here to victory lap calls we made. We're here to say, let's look at the process. What went right? What went wrong? And how could we move forward? I'll also say it is a lot easier for players to rise in ADP than fall in ADP. Now, when players fall, it's an injury. It's new information that gives us like, oh, okay, well, it's very clear. Like you can't draft Trey Lance in the same spot anymore because Brock Purdy seems like the starter or Dalvin Cook. He doesn't have a team anymore. So those things are pretty obvious. When you get to wide receivers, dear Lord, there are so many wide receivers that move up and down the board because of new information. So that's the one that you see the most movement. And then Titans kind of silly. Like, did you, do you see the list we have here with risers and followers? It's like, eh, I mean, it's, it's not that big of a difference in a lot of these guys. So keep that in mind as we go and we'll list some of these, but the quarterback risers, I want to hear from you bets. Brock Purdy has risen the most since May. And by the way, this data set is from May 8th all the way to today to, uh, you know, end of July, Brock Purdy, Ryan Tannehill are the ones that have risen uh, more than a round. And then Sam Howell, Matthew Stafford, and then Kenny Pickett's risen just a little bit. So what is your exposure to those back-end quarterbacks, which all seem like low-end QB2s? Yeah, I can kind of just talk about them as a whole. I, I'm i lower than market on most of these guys um, and haven't had a ton of them, to be honest. Now, I have started taking a little bit of Ryan Tannehill, whereas before I wasn't taking any. And part of that is because of DeAndre Hopkins. I shouldn't say part of it. Solely because of the signing of DeAndre Hopkins. Like Now you can tell yourself a story where the Titans are telling us their intention that by signing uh, DeAndre Hopkins, they are likely to go for it, which makes sense with Mike Vrabel's DNA. Um, you know, Less, I think, of a chance that we see your boy Will Levis on the field this year unless something goes wrong. So I think he's fine as a, as a QB2 target, even at this uh, current rising ADP. I have a little bit of Purdy, and, and that was kind of me saying at the time, like, look, for the first time in two years, I'm out on Trey Lance. They've sort of told us what's happening. They they told us, like, even, at, um, I think it was the combine, they told us, like, this is Brock Purdy's team. And How I remember saying you? to you, I can't believe people are spending the 170th overall pick on Trey Lance. I don't think he's starting week one or many, if any, games this year. And now that we have the confirmation that Purdy's elbow is doing well, I think uh, Purdy's ADP will continue to rise. We've had the Sam Howell conversation, and I've taken some Kenny Pickett primarily because, and it's not necessarily a, a player take on Kenny Pickett, but I play a lot of tournaments for best ball. We know week 17 matters, and I could not be higher on the Seahawks. So naturally, like if I get a DK Metcalf or something and I grab two Steelers, like I'll throw Kenny Pickett on to complete that stack. But Outside of that, you know, that's kind of the only reason. So, yeah, overall, I'm a little behind exposure on, on this group. My only pushback on, I'll push back on Tannehill because over the last two years, he has three games over 20 points. So, it, it's like you haven't seen the ceiling. And one of those years was the A.J. Brown. Okay, so it's not like we can just say he had nobody. Uh, that team is super fragile. We've talked about that a lot. Even adding DeAndre Hopkins, it's a pretty fragile team. Uh, so I haven't taken a lot of Tannehill, and I, I think I haven't because I didn't earlier. And now as he's moved up, I mean, his, his ADP is 199 right now. So it's 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 not egregious if you want to take him as a QB3 in those builds. But like in a, in a two-quarterback build, I haven't been taking him very much because I don't feel like he has the ceiling or the other uh, partners that I want. I Honestly, other than Chig, I haven't been taking a lot of Titans. So maybe it's just one of those teams I've been lower on. I want to ask about Purdy, though. 
because I feel like he's going to continue to gain a little bit more steam. He's 172nd right now. Do you see him as a difference maker? Because I feel like he's like the sum of all of his parts. Obviously, I don't mind CMC where he goes. I don't mind Debo that much. Like if he's in the 40s, that's fine. I haven't taken a lot of Auk and I haven't taken a lot of Kittle. So then it kind of comes down to like, if I'm not getting one, like apart from stacking, you're not taking this guy, right? Oh, definitely only in a stack. And the nice thing about his ADP relative to his teammates is that they're all going super high. So like if you do end up snagging, you know, Debo and Ayuk or Debo and Kittle or, or whatever your combination is or CMC, you know, you pick in the top three or four, you get CMC. Like he's kind of hanging around as a backdoor complete the stack sort of guy. So I have taken him a little bit in those scenarios. And yeah, like you said, he is the sum of his parts. I mean, the Shanahan system is designed to put out efficient quarterback play. That said, he's not going to necessarily take off and run with his legs, so I don't see him being an actual difference maker, but a guy that I'm fine with as your QB2, QB3, if you like that type of build. Um, and, you know, I think, truthfully, I think because of this elbow thing, I'm not sure how much downfield passing we really see, especially early in the year. So I kind of like it, actually, for the act guys in in Debo, in CMC. Like, I, I can definitely see those guys getting there, whereas before... I've been pretty out on Debo. I'm I'm actually kind of in this year where he was so outlandishly uh, efficient. Remember that two years ago that it was like, that's not happening again. Disappointed. And then now has a chance, I think, to kind of rebound and settle back into an, a realistic outlook. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think he's fine. I wouldn't call him necessarily a, a difference maker at quarterback. This is a stat from John Daigle um, at not Jay Daigle said, target shares in the sixth game that CMC – Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk were on the field together with Purdy. Debo's target share, 25.5. CMC, 21. Ayuk, 16. Kittle, 11.5. Which is wild because Kittle's splits with Purdy were insane. Like, in terms of he averaged 14 points a game. He had seven touchdowns his final four games. So, this is an offense where I think if I'm going to buy in somewhere else, it's probably going to be Debo, who just annihilates zone coverage. Ayuk's games are mostly against man. The hardest part about that team is it's like beyond those guys, you can't really throw a dart anywhere, right? Like you're not going to throw a dart at Juwan Jennings or Danny Gray or whoever else. Elijah Mitchell is not somebody I've been drafting a lot. So it's an interesting team for best ball because Purdy's creeping up and he's interesting, but also interesting because Trey Lance used to be going 160th overall bets and he's now at 213. But can I give a just a little bit of positive news about Trey Lance? Don't. You even dare. Please do not, because I will probably believe it. (laughs) But my body, my body's telling me yes. I need need to tell you that I went back and I watched week two, okay? It was week two, 49ers, Seahawks, and I watched those first couple drives. And that offense was humming, and it it was glorious. I don't know you. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm not so, with I'm not with him. Just for listeners, I <laughs> I, can't, I can't, man. I've been burned so much. They told us it's Brock Purdy's team. I'm out. I'm not drafting him. I'm, I'm not drafting him. It's a fun bit, people. Um, it's sad. It's sad. Maybe in Dynasty he still has life, but it, it's it's hard. Apart from a, a you know dart throw at the very end in weekly winners or something. I don't care. Um, Josh Allen has actually dropped a ton from when we started. His old ADP was at 18. It's now 28th overall where he's going in the 30s routinely. And I wrote down, I love to see this. I talked about him as my best ball league winner. 
And I think the quarterbacks as a whole, like there's this initial push of like, okay, there's the big three and their ADPs have slowly slid in a little bit. Do you think that's the right thing for the market? Definitely. We talked about this in May, like right kind of as we turned the page towards best ball. The article I put out about what's changing in 2023 relative to past seasons was like, this quarterback landscape is insane. And I think wrong, truthfully, like these guys are great. You know, they're incredible. Jalen Hurts had, I think, the highest advance rate for any quarterback last year, but it's because he did what he did as a pick going in the fifth or sixth round, not because he was a round two pick. Like, I don't want to spend a round two price on these quarterbacks. And so I was kind of hands off hoping this would happen. But now that we are seeing not just Josh Allen, but we're seeing some Jalen Hurts fall, I feel like Mahomes routinely still goes most of the time at the back of the second, but you're getting Hurts and Allen in round three. I'm in on that. And so I am trying to kind of make up for what I missed out on early in the season with just hammering whenever Hurts and Allen are there. Of course, for for Hurts, I need, you know, I feel like I personally need A.J. Brown or Devonta Smith to really see the ceiling get there for that stack. But um, outside of that, man, I love the new price on those elite quarterbacks. Yeah, there's a lot of other guys dropped. You know, Justin Fields was going 34th overall that way back at the beginning of May, which sounds wild now. Now he's routinely, he's in the fifth round, 49th overall. And I think that's a better price. I hadn't taken Justin Fields early, so I feel good about that. Anthony Richardson uh, was 86 overall. Now he's going at 104. And I like the price. I haven't been getting him as much recently in my drafts personally, but I think he's a fine pick at 104. You, this was shocked. We were talking about our exposures. And Dak Prescott is up there for in your exposures. Is the price just way more palatable for you now? It is. Yeah, he's currently going around, you know, pick 105-ish. But we've talked a lot about this. And, and I'm excited to talk to Warren next week to really get the idea of what he thinks is going to happen. Because as we've said, you know, for a while, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, they let Zeke walk. They have a running back room that has Tony Pollard, who's never handled the full season workload. Not saying he can't. We just haven't seen it. And they, you know, obviously have CU Lamb. Michael Gallup is healthier in year two off the ACL. And they bring in Brandon Cook. So the movement as far as the personnel doesn't make sense is what Mike McCarthy has told us he is going to do. He could still, you know, hand it off over and over and over again. And that would be disappointing. But I'm buying the dip a little bit on Dak, especially if I do get someone earlier like CeeDee Lamb or uh, Brandon Cooks. And it doesn't hurt that if you are playing in a tournament like Week 17, in a dome against the Lions certainly sounds yeah. fun. One more name I want to bring up as a faller. It's Kyler Murray. He was going 129th overall. Now he's around pick 150. So it's like a almost a 21 spot drop. I, so I get mixed information about Kyler because I see what I see in our injury report. That's from you. I see what we have in our show doc when we talk about the NFC West. And then I hear stuff from Andy, Mike, and Jason about when he's going to be ready. Just I, I need I need you to just tell me straight. Like, can Kyler Murray be a difference maker in best ball? Because where he's going is awesome. I like that. It's hard when I look at the team and the formula for the team and how bad he was as a deep passer. He was like one of the best deep ball passers in the league two years ago. Last year, he was the worst. And he's coming off an injury. So just talk me out of him because I haven't been taking him, but I'm scared that I'm gonna be missing out. Yeah, this is a stand I feel pretty confident in taking that I'm I'm pretty out on Kyler Murray. And it's not because I don't think he can play week two, week three, week four, maybe week one, but he's starting camp on PUP. He hasn't uh, had a single practice with his, his team 
through the entire offseason, and we're talking about a January surgery. So the chances that you see the rushing that has made Kyler so valuable for fantasy in the first month, two months, three months of the season is very, very, very low in my opinion. So could he be a guy that if you sneak a couple teams through to the playoffs in a tournament that he turns it on late in the year? I guess it's possible, and we do see that rushing volume come up. But I have a lot of data that shows in my sample size every quarterback uh, through the last five or six years that is coming off an ACL injury has less of an efficient running season, meaning less yards per carry and less rushing volume. The only one who beat that stuff was Deshaun Watson. So you have an outlier situation where Kyler could, sure, certainly. But if you just remove the injury, like, do you want a pocket passing quarterback behind a bottom five offensive line that just lost DeAndre Hopkins with a new coaching staff and a new scheme where he's still learning and he hasn't taken a snap in it yet? That's my case against Kyler, and, and I'm happy to be wrong about that. I hope he comes out and does it because I've actually traded for him a bunch of dynasties to, to buy the dip. So I'm happy to be wrong on that, but I think for best ball, I'm taking a pretty hard stance against Kyler this year. All right. We'll be right back in just a second. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. Our listeners took their potty break and they're ready to talk running backs. We're talking about wait, running wait, back wait. risers. Before we move on, what, what are your thoughts on Kyler? After, <sighs> after hearing my take. I've my thoughts are real simple. I just stayed away. I did okay. buy him in Dynasty though. Okay. We're in lockstep then. Okay. I mean, so that way, this is how you hedge, right? Like if we're wrong in best ball, we're right in Dynasty. Right. This, this but up. but don't you agree? Like this is a wide receiver room that consists of Hollywood Brown, who I think is good. I like Rondale Moore, Greg Dorch, Zach Ertz coming off an ACL injury. James Connor is like forty years old, right? <laughs> I mean, don't you agree? Like it's not a good situation. Uh, he's 28.2, but <laughs> yes, the Cardinals, uh, we're doing their preview and I just going through this team and I'm like, where are the difference makers that allow this team just tr- to truly elevate? They ranked last in the NFL in yards per route run as a team. So it's like Hollywood was living on volume alone. And then you look at the rest of the room. It's like, I don't mind Trey McBride late as like a tight end too. Like I, ha- I think he's fine. It's rough. It's really rough. Rondo Moore has given you no boom games in his entire career. He's not good. And then Michael Wilson, I think, was overdrafted as well. So it's it could be really bad. So I've just been mostly staying away, and I'll feel better about it, uh, I think. So running backs. I wrote to Betts earlier that all my boys are here. And by the way, the phrase my boy or your boy 
is one of my favorites to use on this podcast, mostly as a joke, but someone wrote <laughs> me the other day. They said, stop saying your boy after every single podcast. And and it, and hopefully people understand, like, that's the joke is that nobody, these are nobody's boys. Like, you don't, I don't call Keenan Allen my boy because he's Keenan Allen. No, 90, 95% of the time when you use that phrase, it is about a player who's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the people that are here on the running back risers list, I feel pretty confident that if someone listens to this podcast, they have them on their list. Like they, they should have good exposure. Alexander Madison is the biggest riser. His old ADP bets, get this, on May 8th, his ADP was 104th overall. What a time to be alive. I mean, it, that was <laughs> that was a print fest right there. Yeah, now he's going 60th overall, and I see him go in the 50s routinely. This one, I don't know if you agree with here, but it's Uncle Jerome Ford. 41 spots goes from 208 to 167. I've kind of backed off a little bit because that, you know, that's the style, right? Once it becomes cool, I don't want to do it at all. That's just, that's how I live my life. So uh, do you have much Jerome Ford? Um, I have a little bit, like kind of right in line with market uh, as far as exposure, like around seven or 8%. But a lot of those exposures have been in the previous, you know, month or two, like not recently where he is going. And look, man, like it looks like he is certainly entering camp and will be the RB2 unless they sign someone. But also, like, remember, if you're playing in tournaments, you're playing against people that got Jerome Ford in round 18, round 17, round 16. So I personally can't fathom spending a 13th or 14th round pick on Jerome Ford knowing that. Um, and so I feel like if you missed it, this is a spot where I'd potentially be looking to fade. Tank Bigsby is someone that I felt pretty confident in his price. 37 spots higher now, 137th overall. I still don't mind the price. Obviously, it's it's a different market, but like I don't find that egregious in terms of his archetype as like an RB5 on a team, RB4, where you're not asking him to be a weekly contributor, but I feel like he's going to get goal line work. I, I, I'm I much higher on Tank, Tank Bigsby than the market. Um, are you there? Yeah, I think it's still fine. And really the bet is you're, and I love, I love this in best ball, like the running backs who have potentially value at the pick that they go but have an opportunity to just absolutely crush that pick that if Travis Etienne were to miss multiple games I think we'd feel pretty confident Tanks Bigsby would slide into that RB1 role and get decent volume not only at the goal line which is clearly valuable but also as a receiver like he can do that too so those are the bets that I like to make and so I think he's still a pretty decent target even at that ADP. Antonio Gibson is somebody I feel like we've both been pretty bullish on there is a point where he was going behind Brian Robinson and those ADPs clearly have changed. He's now a top 100 player and he's still in my top 100 rank. So Gibson's somebody I have a lot of. He's the archetype we like betting on. We think, I think Washington's going to throw a little bit more with Eric Bieniemy. It could be a really bad situation, but I like Antonio Gibson where he goes. So the, the, the top risers, I feel really happy that we've gotten a lot of people in on. Kenneth Gainwell is another player we've talked about a lot. Explain to me Jarek McKinnon, because I we have taken the exact opposite stance where his old ADP was 145. Now he's going 124th overall, almost two rounds like ahead. Is that just because of Pacheco's little injury scare? I mean, I think it has something to do with it. I think at 145, like that would be a pretty good pick, you know, where he was going previously um, because he has a role. He's got a role in this offense. Last year, he did get a, a bunch of usage around the goal line as a receiver. But, I mean, 
our boy Marv, uh, Marv Eloquin, one of our writers, does great work, put out a regression candidate for running backs. Like, Jarek McKinnon is not going to, I don't think, do what he did last year as far as the touchdown no. volume. And so if he doesn't do that, he's not a guy that's going to get 20 carries in a game, right? So you're relying on efficiency and touchdowns. And when when the way that it happened for him happened last year, I would like to bet against that. So I think at this price, I'm, I'm pretty out on Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, he was a 17th, 18th round pick last year with nine receiving touchdowns. I mean, that's just insane. Joe Mixon, we've talked about him ad nauseum. Any other players you want to talk about on the risers list? Um, the only other one that I want to get your thoughts on is Samaj P. Ryan. And I guess we can parlay that into a Javante Williams discussion because the news has been good on Williams, but I'm not sure it changes my outlook a ton for P. Ryan. Like, certainly if Javante Williams was going to miss six games, like that clearly is different. But even if Javante Williams is ready to go week one and, and seemingly decently healthy, I think P. Ryan's still going to have a, a role in this offense. So I'm interested to see, because his ADP has risen, but I'm interested to see over the next two, three, four weeks, does it start to come down a little bit with positive Javante Williams news? And if so, I think that's a dip I'll be buying for sure. Yeah, he fits. It, P. Ryan fits a ton of my builds because I've said it again, and I'll, every draft, I'm, I have to have four wide receivers before pick 100, no matter what my builds. Therefore, a lot of times there's a range of Zach Charbonnet, uh, P. Ryan Gibson used to go there where it's like, okay, I can pick this guy up as a contributor for my team. And so I think P. Ryan just has great standalone value. I like, I don't even have to really gauge where Javante Williams is. And maybe it might come back to bite me in the very end of the year where like, let's say Javante weeks, I don't know, 14 through 17 is like a hammer and a hammer that you need. I probably could have bought the dip there a little bit better. Uh, when now you're just going to see the ADPs rise. So that's kind of been my stance. Like, are you taking Javante at all? I truthfully have like, I mean, out of the teams that I've drafted, like two or three shares. And it's usually because someone else is willing to take him ahead of where I have him in my rankings. Now that said, if he falls past ADP, that's a spot I'm looking to say, okay, like if I need a running back, he's after ADP. I see the case for late in the year, but I just want to remind everyone like this injury was significant and people can come back from this stuff. Like it, it does happen, but his injury is not one that I've pegged even from when it happened to, to now, like one that I want to bet on a lot. So I don't want to miss out on the, the end of year, like insane run he could have, but a lot has to go right to get there. And so my long winded way of saying like, I'll take him when he falls, but I'm certainly not going to chase him up in ADP if I missed out. In terms of running back fallers, this is kind of something that you can look at every single year. If you want to like file this away, put a reminder on your phone. Rookie running backs that are day three people, day three guys that receive early hype, they will fall. Like Chase Brown was going at pick 167 and I just airballed where right now he's going near pick 200. I didn't understand that. I mean, I guess it's mostly because of Mixon worry. Maybe that was the reason people were doing that, but there was no chance that he was going to even be the guy ahead of Travion Williams or, you know, somebody else that they could have added in. So I felt like he was a bad bet. Uh, Roshan Johnson has dropped about 14 picks. Zach Evans has dropped 12. Uh, it, it's just when you're reaching on running backs on day three, after the draft, there's excitement like, oh, this person's, you know, in the mix. But Usually it's pretty clear in the backfield that that person's not going to start the year as, with a significant role. Could there be a window of opportunity at some point? Sure, somebody gets injured. But they usually are very bad bets in terms of being significant for best ball. They could beat their ADP 
for sure. But unless you're getting somebody like last year, Damian Pierce, where other than Rex Burkhead, there was literally no one else on the roster that he was the best running back on the team. So his rise made sense. So I just in general, rookie running backs that are day three, I think are players that I will always fade because they will easily get zeros on your roster. And I don't really want that. Dalvin Cook is clearly the biggest one that changed, but any other names that stood out to you on the fallers for running backs? We've talked a lot about the Saints situation. I think that was two episodes ago. We talked a lot about uh, Kendra Miller, the Alvin Kamara suspension potentially, plus the efficiency concerns, and Jamal Williams just being a guy that had an outlier season, and I don't think that'll happen again, that uh, Kendra Miller is is the archetype we like to bet on. And there was a report that he was going to start on the NFI list. He's already off the NFI list, so I think his uh, drastic fall will start to come to an end somewhat soon. But that's a player that I still like betting on, uh, especially for being this guy who could emerge late in the year. And there's a new discount on that. So I like that uh, quite a bit. I do want to get your thoughts, though. We talked about Tink Bigsby. Like, Travis Etienne's down a little bit. And I don't want to be mutually exclusive because it's going to be a great offense. I think they're going to score a ton of points. Like, I still see the path where Travis Etienne holds off Tank Bigsby. So I was kind of out when he was almost around pick 30. Are you in now that he's kind of in the 40s? Because I kind of want to buy some of that. He's only somebody that if it's past ADP, I'm interested in because in that same section, you know, like Mixon, Mixon technically goes after him. And I have Mixon ahead in my rankings. I have Aaron Jones ahead. So ETN's one of those players. If like Mixon or Jones are gone, then I'll be fine taking ETN past ADP. So he's going 41st overall. If if he was more back of the fourth, I think I, that's where I like him. Like if he's picked 46, something like that. Uh, so, th- but I want exposure to the offense. I agree. Like I want, I want a piece. Kenneth Walker is somebody that has dropped. He's in that same kind of range, but from 44th to 52nd. And I quietly messaged this to you and I, maybe you don't realize how serious it was. I said, what if Zach Charbonnet is the key to winning best ball this year? Like, oh my gosh, I would be <laughs> in a great position because I've been hammering Zach Charbonnet where he goes. Which we talked about, like that range has been historically very profitable as far as where to take like your RB2 or RB3. And that could change based off the landscape this year, but that's where Ramondre Stevenson was going, you know, uh, previously. And it's not the same comp, don't get me wrong, but we love the Seahawks offense. And certainly like this is, this is the bet. If Kenneth Walker goes down, like Kenneth Walker's not going away. He's going to have a role in this offense. But if he goes down, Zach Charbonnet would be ranked weekly as a top 10 option in season-long formats that's the bet I like to make is is if this goes right and this hits it's going to hit in a huge way so I do like Charbonnet Um, I don't know if you saw like they're kind of high up there in a lot of people that do offensive line rankings like Brandon Thorne he's great he does it with established the run he had them I think ninth in his offensive line rankings entering the year so you got that plus the upgraded skill positions Gino was great last year like I'm in on the Seahawks and I think Again, this is not a mutually exclusive situation because I see the path where Kenneth Walker holds the job and is capable of ripping off these huge runs, which we like for Spike Week. So I have taken some Walker because he falls past ADP quite a bit. It seems like his ADP is sort of a wide range where he goes, but when he falls, I'm happy to click the button on, on Ken Walker. So we've been pretty pro Seahawks. I've especially been you know talking about DK Metcalf a ton, <clears throat> JSN, Geno's a value. The run game still puzzles me. And it puzzles me because Pete Carroll historically has emphasized the run and then he's kind of loosened the grips with his offensive coordinator and then Gino kind of got to cook and do his own thing last year. 
And I'm wondering if he kind of reins it back in because Seahawks running backs were stuffed, meaning they had carries of zero or negative yards at the fourth highest rate in the league last year. This team relied on big plays, 30 touchdowns of over 10 yards, which that's that's way bigger considering that, you know, 75% of the t- touchdowns in the NFL, they come inside the 10. The Seahawks had 71% of the touchdowns come outside the 10. So they were like a major outlier and Kenneth Walker was kind of inefficient, right? Like he got stuffed. He kind of lived off of volume. So Zach Charbonnet is somebody that's kind of climbing up and I've been souring more and more. And as the market's dipped on Kenneth Walker, I go, well, it kind of makes sense. He, he He's lower in my rankings. So we'll see in our UDK, just to kind of give, I'm going to give a freebie here. Ooh, we have Zach Charbonnet. We have Zach Charbonnet projected for 205 opportunities. Well, that's pretty wild. I did not know that. And my voice just went up a little bit. It's wild. Uh, <laughs> it would be a fun task for us, bets. This is all oh guys. We're dumb. Why would I say this on on the mic? But now we have to do it. If we looked at UDK projections for opportunities and targets, okay, and then place them in Best Ball ADP and go, wow, how many other players are projected in our projections with two hundred plus opportunities that go at you know where Zach Charbonnet goes. It's just that sounds like a great project uh, for you. I, I I realized when I said that I will <laughs> I will do this. But that would be gonna... very valuable, honestly, for people that are in the UDK plus and and for the show. So, dang it! Now you have to, Kyle. You're committed. I'm an idiot. All right, wide receivers. Let's talk about some wide receiver risers, and there are a ton. By the way, I will post this article that gives you kind of an overview of who's changed the most since May. And you can kind of, you know, screenshot to your friends like, look, I'm a genius. I drafted a ton of uh, Rondale Moore. <laughs> it's like, cool, cool, man. Uh, so the top risers, I tweeted this out the other day or whatever. What do we call it now? We don't call it tweets. Oh, I don't even know, dude. You're asking the wrong I don't guy. know how to pronounce it. Zeet? I guess so. That's what yeah. the kids are saying these days. I'm going to be I'm gonna be a tweeter. Uh, the <laughs> top five, the top five wide receiver risers, Van Jefferson, has risen 53 spots. Rondale Moore, 44 spots. Your boy Tim Patrick, Fireball Jones, 36 spots. Nico Collins, 35 spots. And I know this person's your boy, Paris Campbell, 30 spots. Those names are not that inspiring. But what it tells me, and this is another one of those things you can file away for next year, one of the easiest risers to peg are really bland wide receiver twos on teams that are undervalued compared to rookies because rookies right after the draft are like, Oh, this guy's the guy Jalen Hyatt and Jalen Hyatt has predictably fallen where bets on this show said, please do not draft this guy. He's fallen 64 spots. I feel kind of bad for him now. Like when I see him in like the 17th, 18th round, I'm like, Oh man, he's going at 198th overall. But Van Jefferson, Rondale Moore, Tim Patrick, Nico Collins, Paris Campbell are not the sexiest names. Do you have high exposure to any of those? I was taking a decent amount of Rondale pre DeAndre Hopkins. Like that's a bet I made. It was like I think I think they're moving on. It seemed that way, and so I took that bet months ago, and I don't necessarily want to chase that. Ben Jefferson, same story. I think where he was going previously, it's like, did we not realize how thin this the step chart is? Like they obviously didn't have Allen Robinson. Cooper Cup is going to get his clearly. He's fantastic, but then there was like. Puka Nakua hype, and it's like, guys, Van Jefferson is is probably the wide receiver two here, and we have some confirmation uh, of that already. So I get the rise. That is an extreme rise, though, that I think 
Van Jefferson's probably getting close-ish to where I would stop taking him. The Tim Patrick thing, I truthfully don't understand. And, I mean, Fireball Jones is great, but, like, I think we keep need to remembering, like, it's Tim Patrick, right? And so I don't want to be betting on a player like that that rises so far. Like, I see him sometimes go in the 13th round to, like, complete a rust stack or complete a bring back for a Chargers team. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think Cortland Sutton probably still gets the wide receiver two job, but this team drafted, uh, you know, they drafted uh, Marvin Mims. I almost said Denzel Mims. Marvin Mims. Greg Dulcich is probably going to get some work. Like, they're going to throw to the running backs. I I have a tough time with Tim Patrick, so I'm kind of out on that, and I think the listeners know very well how I feel about Paris Campbell. I will be taking uh, none of this new price. <laughs> I don't mind Paris Campbell, man. Like, who knows what their wide receiver room is. If you want to take multiple shots, Isaiah Hodgins, something. Like, I think we're down on the Giants as a whole, as a team, and a passing attack. I'll say this about Van Jefferson. Okay, so I, you know, rising 53 spots is wild, uh, considering he's going at 191 overall. Like, he's still wide receiver 62. So it's not like the price is insane. And here's a hot, a hot Matthew Stafford stat, okay? 10 full seasons from Stafford. So if you throw out the injury ones, 10 full seasons. Six of them supported multiple top 36 wide receivers. So if you're counting Cooper Cup, you might count Van Jefferson to sneak into top 36. And one of those seasons was was Van Jefferson in 2021 when Jefferson was the wide receiver 34. So I think he could still beat his ADP, but it's very different when you're, you know, who you're drafting at 137 than where you were in 180. But keep that in mind next year. These wide receiver twos for a team, like they're going to rise because you're going to realize really quickly like, oh, this dude's going to be on the fields running routes. You know, they're going to be uh, team cardio. Van Jefferson is always on team cardio. Oh, dude, 100%. He's going to be out there. Uh, who else? Allen Robinson probably this year, as he was last year. Um, I don't know, man. Marvin Jones might be on team all, first team all cardio this year with the Lions in the first six weeks. There's some good candidates for this year. We'll have to put out a, a tweet about it, or maybe we'll maybe we'll get a segment on the show. Honorable mentions for the, for the first team all cardio team. Paris was one of those guys last year. Couldn't stay on the field the years before, but played in every single game. I'm going to throw out some other names for you. Sky Moore, just real quickly. Are you, he's going 99th overall now. Like, is a top 100 player? Are you, are you in on that? So this is obviously related to the Kadarius Tony situation, which I have almost none of, think, fortunately. And it, and it wasn't because of an injury take. It was just like, guys, Pat Mahomes told us last year, like, we're going to spread it out and Kelsey's the dude. And then you have the same sort of situation and people keep chasing Kadarius Tony. And now we have confirmation like he's going to miss most of, if not all of camp. And his week one outlook is uncertain. And the fact that they know that in July tells you it's a pretty significant injury. So I get the rise. I'm a little worried, though, about that. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not having, I guess, more of these guys, Rasheed Rice, Sky Moore, where they were going to be cheaper prices. Now you're going to have to pay a premium on them. And I'm a little worried about it. I don't know. What are your takes on on Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice? I've been taking MVS because he's just been later. And it's just cheaper. I haven't taken a ton of Sky Moore. Uh, you know, a couple shares here and there. I can't fathom the top 100 price. Like he didn't do enough as a rookie on a per route basis to say he's done, but not enough to say I want to buy in. There's just other players that I will already have on my roster at that point. So he doesn't feel like a necessary player. I also have said many times on this podcast that I've been pretty much a full fade on Mahomes and Kelsey. I've taken Mahomes in a couple of 12 man leagues, but it's going to bite me. The CEH, what could go wrong? That's the that's the chief I clearly have the most of. 
but I just don't like the price there. Um, let me ask you a couple other names here. Michael Gallup. He's going 135th overall. Why is he the best pick in best ball? <laughs> no, no confirmation bias whatsoever from Kyle on this one. Um, yeah, I, I still think it's okay. I, I'm not in love with it, obviously, because I hate, sometimes I hate this where like, you know, you missed the boat on the best price. Fortunately, I have a ton of him when he was going later. So like, I feel good about it, but I feel, I still think he's an, a good pick. Like we talked about potentially the, the fate of the narrative of how they're going to be so run heavy. And I also don't think it's crazy that Michael Gallup could be number two on the team of targets. Like the market right now is telling us it's a hundred percent, definitely Brandon cooks. And I think I'd bet on that, but like, I don't think it's a hundred percent certainty. I don't even think it's 90, not even 80%. Like there is a chance where Michael Gallup is the wide receiver two over Brandon cooks as far as target share. So I see the path for sure. And if you're stacking up lions and you need a later bring back for week 17, Michael Gallup is usually sitting there. I'm going to keep getting him on my team. I've gone this far. I think he's still a good value. And I loved getting him. So, uh, yeah, highest exposure wide receiver, Michael Gallup. What could go wrong? Last last couple of names I want to mention here is Quentin Johnston is now eight picks up. And we've talked about getting Herbert stacks. Our boy Herbert now just got paid. So is he a player of the rookies that has the touchdown archetype in an offense that's like 79th overall is still a fine price? I mean... I always look back every year and I look at these players. I'm like, what were we thinking taking Garrett Wilson 115th overall last year? First round rookie, you know, it's going to get peppered with targets. This is a first round rookie with Justin Herbert. Is this a fair price? Are you going to keep going on Quentin Johnston? Yeah, I think it is a fair price. I mean, you, you love to bet on good offenses and you love to bet on not only like can Quentin Johnston just be good in the NFL and earn a role. I think so. And the contingent upside too is, is massive to me. Like if Keenan Allen misses games, if Mike Williams misses games, I feel very, very confident. Quentin Johnson is going to slide in ahead of Joshua Palmer, maybe not week two or whatever, but like at some point this year, he will be ahead of him on the depth chart. I feel very confident in that. And so you're not only getting this kind of contingent, maybe weekly standalone value with some chance for spike weeks, but you have the chance that heaven forbid, your loved Keenan Allen goes down, or Mike Williams, who I who I love, goes down. Quentin Johnson immediately steps in, and so I love that kind of standalone value, but also the massive upside if things break right for you. So, I mean, I'm stacking Herbert left and right, so I certainly have plenty of Quentin Johnson. Yeah, I've tried to stay my ranking slightly ahead of ADP on Quentin Johnson. So he's going 79th overall. I have him at 76 right now. So I'm just still trying to get people on their teams to be able to say, hey, this is somebody that you can target and I'm totally fine if you want to take him a couple spots ahead of ADP. The fallers, I said earlier, it is predictable every single year. I wrote this article last year that rookie wide receivers are going higher than they ever have been. And at the beginning of the year, guess what? It happened again. It's very clear. And then bets on this show said, do not draft Jalen Hyatt. Please don't do this. He was going 134th overall. He dropped 64 spots. Other massive droppers, Josh Downs who is now sadly going 213th overall. Like he's not even being drafted anymore. So you're going to be competing against teams that drafted Josh Downs in the 170s and everyone else is like, oh yeah, Josh Downs. Yeah, I'm not even going to take that guy. Uh, Tank Dell, Nathaniel Dell of, of the Texans. So fringe rookie wide receivers that are slot guys only and they don't have the draft capital are just pretty much easy fades. 
for the most part. Like there's there's the outliers, there's the Amon Ra's. That's fine. I'll take the L. But on the most part, we get to say that we don't really want those guys. I did want to highlight one faller because most of the guys that are falling are just kind of fringe guys or predictable. Adam Thielen, it's like, okay, it makes sense. Chase Claypool, is he still in the league? Like those kind of things. But Pity City, Michael Pittman has dropped from... Man, I'm getting worked over here. 55th overall to 67th <laughs> overall. 12 spot drop, a full round. What is your stance on Michael Pittman and his range of outcomes? Because he's always looking at me in the board. He's reminding me that he had 99 receptions last year, which is a big deal. He also was reminding me that it was not very productive on a yards per target basis. Are you interested at all in his price? He's wide receiver 34 right now. Yeah, he's such a tough player because you know that you know he's talented. That's not the question. And you know that he's going to lead the team in targets. It's just you're kind of cashing a big parlay for him to just bury you in best ball. So I see the path where he has some some big games, some spike weeks. But, I mean, Anthony Richardson didn't complete 55% of his passes in college. So there is a learning curve of the NFL. The offensive line last year was a bit banged up, wasn't great. We just got news. Jonathan Taylor's on the PUP list, and I'm not saying that's a huge concern as far as his availability or whatever, but like he's still working his way back from injury, so it adds more systemic risk to the offense that I I kind of want some exposure to Pittman and Anthony Richardson stacks because in the event that they are incredible, I want to be in on that. But at the same time, I'm behind ADP, so even with this new price, I still find myself being well underweight the field. And the stat you always throw out is, these rookie quarterbacks just don't support top 36 wide receivers for fantasy very often. And so to me, unless he falls outside of that top 36, I'm most likely going to be uh, underweight the field. Yeah, there's just other guys. I'm looking at my rankings, which you could do on facefootballers.com and the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus that I have ranked ahead of him that are going behind him in ADP. Like Jahan Dotson is an archetype that I'm going to bet on. He's wide receiver 37 or an underdog. Gabe Davis is somebody that I talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, as a league winner, it's just, there's just other guys that when I get to that point, I'm just more interested in. So maybe it's just the spot that he goes. And then, yeah, that rookie quarterback stat that I feel like I quote once a week, like it's just, it's just always popping up as like a reminder, like, Hey, it's just a bad bet on this team. So what could have been, uh, he'll probably get a big contract extension though. Right. I, I still think he's very talented and Let's not forget the fact that last year's Colts were just an <laughs> unreal disaster, right? So, like, you could say, can it get worse? And I would hope that it couldn't because it was truly terrible. And the guy caught 99 balls in that offense. So, I still think he's very talented. Like, not a dynasty show. We do have one of those. Not a dynasty show, but he's a guy I'd be buying a dynasty. Oh, good. Because I got him on a team and I don't know what to do. Because I'm probably just going to be left holding the back. Let's finish. With tight ends, we're going to go through these pretty quickly because it's not super significant. Some of the risers that I think are most interesting is Greg Dulcich has gone up 15 spots. He's now 128th overall. That's a lot due to the news where, you know, Sean Payton came out and said, this is my joker, my joker role. Hey, Reggie Bush was this guy. It's like, ah, Reggie Bush and Greg Dulcich are very different players. (laughs) Um, But I don't mind him. Like, he's now ahead of Chig in ADP. He's ahead of Chig in my rankings now. Um, also because I have a lot more Russ. Are you in on the on the D, Greg D? 
I mean, those short shorts and that luscious hair, man. I mean, how can you be out on a guy like that? Um, in all seriousness, I don't see those guys that go in that range as true difference makers. I, I did see it previously with Chig, but the DeAndre Hopkins thing, I mean, you have to lower him in your ranks. Like, that's just the reality. So I don't see that range as, like, the place I want to be just, t- you know, uh, planting my flag and saying these are the guys you need. So a cop-out answer is I'm only taking him when I have Russ or a Chargers team. I'm not necessarily, you know, targeting Greg Dulcich, though I do understand the upside. Second-year tight end, athletic, could play downfield. I like a lot of that stuff. See, that's I'm fine with Greg D and Chig as being part of tight end three builds. Like, I, I have three of them, and I want some athletic guys that get after the catch and give me big plays. Those are the kind of guys that I bet on in three tight end builds that I think can you can cobble together, you know, uh, Greg Dulcich, um, who's somebody else that we've talked about a lot. Like, there's just other guys in this range that I'm like, you can get Tyler Higby if you want. Um, you can get somebody late, like, you know, if you want to go upside, Isaiah Likely. We've talked about the Kate Ottens of the world, Trey McBride. It's like, I, I feel fine with that. If you punt the position and if you need three tight ends, like they still fit what I want to do and being athletic enough. Um, it is scary though. You look at those teams, you're like, how can these three tight ends compete? But uh, over the course of the year, I think they'll be okay. Sam Laporta is getting a lot of hype right now. He's been getting some camp hype. He's up a full round. He's at 162nd overall. And I think he's going to keep climbing. Like I think Sam Laporta will be in the 150s in a hot second. So rookie tight end out of Iowa. Lions took him in the second round. There's not great data saying rookie tight ends are good on a lot of different fronts since 2017. Day two two tight ends average less than 400 receiving yards in the season. So do you, are you just going to let other people go for this? I feel stuck truthfully on Sam Laporta because I get the upside case. The Lions don't have a stud number two pass catcher unless Jameson Williams is the dude, but he's out six weeks. He's also dealing with a minor injury in camp, which usually isn't great. So, I mean, I get I get the case for him, certainly. And I, I know that we kind of have our concerns about are the Lions hyped too much, but I think we both agree the offense is unless something crazy happens, like they're going to be a top 15 offense. Will they regress a little bit? Maybe, but I think they're going to be a pretty good offense. And so I understand it. And and this is the year of the rookie tight end, right? Cause it's like Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, like people are drafting a lot of these guys. And if there is one that I could see it happening for it's Sam Laporta. So I don't want to be a hundred percent out, but to me, he's a guy that's like, you only take him for me personally when he's after ADP or if I have, you know, a golf stack or something. Speaking of rookie tight ends, the biggest tight end faller is Michael Mayer. He's dropped 42 spots. He's now going at 210 right now. Dalton Kincaid's also predictably dropped as well. But also Dawson Knox. Like This is confusing to me that Dawson Knox has dropped 20 spots, Dalton Kincaid 15. Why do you think that is? Like, Why are drafters kind of slowly saying, like, I don't want either of these players when there's a giant void between Gabe Davis, and then who is the next pass catcher that you draft on this team? So is it just, you know, you pick which one if you have a Allen stack and just kind of wait? I think that's part of it. I think the other thing too is when people don't know what to do, there's people get un- uncomfortable and they're like, okay, I'll just pass on both and let someone else figure it out. Or maybe people are just waiting until we get camp confirmation of this is who's running with the ones. This is how they're using Don Kincaid versus Dawson Knox. So I could see a couple of reasons for why it's happening. 
Um, that said, there was also a lot of people, not just us, talking about where Dalton Kincaid was going in the top 120 seemed a bit expensive, so I was very out on that. I have come around to him a little bit where he goes if he falls to like the 140-ish range. Like That seems like an okay place to take a shot uh, as far as him, but I, I've been drafting a ton of Dawson Knox, like almost more than I'd like to admit, but it's because like he still is going to have a role, and when you're looking at specifically on underdog for touchdowns, I think his role in the red zone is still going to be there. So am I predicting Dawson Knox to come out for... 800 yards this year and be incredible? No, of course not. But if he catches six, seven touchdowns at his 180 overall ADP, like that's going to be valuable. And especially if you are looking for stacking partners with Josh Allen, he's just sitting there late in draft. So I like buying the dip on Dawson Knox, but I definitely want to get some Duncan Cadence exposure just in case. And I will be definitely monitoring the camp news to see how they're using these guys. With Josh Allen, you know, you're only going to be taking two quarterbacks. And so it affords you to kind of wait and say, hey, on the other onesie position, I'm just going to wait on tight end. So he fits it really well. I was in a best ball mania draft, and I have Josh Allen, and I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to you know backdoor stack one of these two uh, Bills tight ends. And I'm like, okay, well, Dawson Knox is way, way down there. I can get Dalton Kincaid. And he's up there. Bets, what if I told you he, we were at like pick 148? So I'm getting him like 14 spots past ADP. It's the next pick. And I'm looking at the board, I go, this is perfect. I waited on Dalton Kincaid. No. Not only does the guy in front of me take him, who has already taken Kelsey and Waller, he wanted to add Dalton Kincaid to that group. Sometimes you just got to go bully tight end, Kyle, and just just box him out in the draft because that's going to be great for your for your advance rate. That happens all the time, man. That's the worst. It's the worst. Like It's like, what? there's literally no reason for you to take this player. There's literally like, no sane reason. So if you're listening to this podcast and you did that, you're a jerk. But um, <laughs> I hope you win win the Millie. I hope it's great. Um, last name I want to I throw out there, Cole Komet. He's been down 19 spots, and he just got paid. Right before our recording, Betts and I found out he got paid a ton of money, guaranteed. Um, is this your biggest stand in best ball this year? Like, Is this your biggest, like, there's no way this dude's going to be on my teams? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily the biggest cause he's kind of fallen and it's like not that bit of uh, egregious of a price anymore, but I have zero Cole Komet and I plan on that being the case. You know, it's, it's one of those things where last year he only averaged, I think it was 4.7 targets per game without DJ Moore. You add DJ Moore in, I know Chase Claypool's a whole thing with like, he's modeling in France. He's off the PUP on the PUP. I don't even know kind of been a guy like that but like he was learning the offense last year and he dealt with a knee injury so i understand why it was terrible when he got there if he's back on the field as wide receiver too you know they upgrade a couple other skill positions as far as running back and pass catcher like i just i have a tough time seeing that cole commits like what you need this year even at 150 overall i am definitely out i like how just like random people like like Cole Komet just like get shots fired at them by Betts. Like he's like, what am I doing wrong? And Betts just decided this year, like I'm out, uh, you know, for revenge. And for some reason, Cole Komet is going to be the guy. Uh, Dude, he just signed a $50 million extension. So what do I know? You don't know much. You really don't at all. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I Well, TJ Hawkinson is definitely one of those guys for me this year. It's like, I didn't just fade. I just said he doesn't exist. He doesn't show up on my rankings. Are you is worried about else? that? No, not at all. Okay, I've I've taken I was definitely like hard stance against him, but I, I mean, look, Jordan Addison, I think is great. 
this little speeding situation has me like, okay, what if TJ Hawkinson does just go out there and he's the two? And if he's the two for Kirk Cousins, I see the path. So I will probably be taking a little bit just to make sure I don't get absolutely buried. I think I probably need to wake up to him in weekly winners. I'm just yeah. not woke enough for that. Not but, even close, um, dude. You're like 36. You're definitely not woke. I There's a lot of things that I still don't know, people, <laughs> and I want to learn. And maybe TJ Hawkinson is the one to teach me. That's going to do it for this episode. You can get all of our rankings, ultimatedraftkit.com. Get them on the app. Bets. tell the people to have a good weekend. Yes, I hope everyone out there has an incredible weekend filled with uh, you know, lawn chores, drafting, all that stuff. Make sure you let us know on Twitter or Discord which teams you want to hear more about next week with Warren Sharp, and we'll be back then. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch you next Friday. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Embedding Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.